0: We are in the book of Exodus. If you'd like to know more, the pastor's Bible study, which is Sundays at 5 and Tuesdays at 10, uh, is in the book of Exodus. Last week in chapter 1, we uh, discovered Pharaoh's plan to eliminate all the male babies by uh, throwing them in the Nile River. And we pick up the story in Exodus 2. We are on page 49 in your pew Bible, and the version I'll give you this morning slightly different uh, from that. I'll pick up in verse 8, where they've already, uh, his mother and sister, have placed the beautiful baby Moses in a basket, and now the daughter of Pharaoh and her maid have discovered the basket, beginning in uh, verse 8. So she opened it. And looked inside and the baby was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. And so his sister said to her, do you want me to go get a nurse from among the Hebrew women for you? Yes, go. And so she went and got the baby's mother and brought her to Pharaoh's daughter who said, nurse the child for me and I will pay you. So she took him home and nursed him. And when the child became older, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who made him her son. She named him Moses, for she said, I have drawn him out of the water. When Moses grew older, he went out to see his own people, and he watched their hard labor. And then he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And he looked this way and that, right and left, and seeing no one, he went and killed the Egyptian. And then he hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two of the Hebrews fighting one another. And he said to the one who was in the wrong, Why are you striking your fellow Hebrew? But the man said to Moses, who made you judge over us? Are you thinking that you will kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought to himself, what I've done has become known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. There's a saying that goes something like this. When people want to change history... They use battles and ballots. When God wants to change history, God uses a baby. And this morning we come to this significant baby Moses placed in the Nile River because of uh, the command of Pharaoh. Uh, According to tradition, which doesn't carry the weight of scripture or even rabbinic commentary, but according to tradition, astrologers and magicians told the Pharaoh that on this year, a liberator for the people of the Hebrews would be born. And they further told him that this liberator would meet his end through or by the water. And so Pharaoh put two and two together. And had issued the edict that all the male babies born to the Hebrew women would be cast into the Nile River. The people of Egypt worshipped the Nile River as a god, so it made a wonderful sacrifice as well. But this time, when he put two and two together, Pharaoh got five. Because Moses' own mother and sister were ahead of Pharaoh. And they took the baby and when he was a few months old and placed him in a basket. The word in Hebrew is interesting. It's actually the same word for ark. They put him in a little ark and he ended up uh, by the shore where Pharaoh's daughter was taking a bath. And she and her maid discover the child. She opens the basket. The baby cries. And immediately she has compassion on the baby and decides that she will raise that Hebrew baby. And so um, the sister of Moses who's watching close by says, you want me to go get oh, uh, one of the Hebrew women to nurse that child? And she said, yes. And, of course, they end up getting Moses' own mother to nurse him and get paid for it. And she will nurse him probably for at least four years and will raise him. Usually children were reigned in Egypt around four years, maybe even a little longer. And the child will be brought back to Pharaoh's daughter, and then he will raise him. She will raise him as her own, but to honor him and his heritage, she gives him what she believes is a Hebrew name. She names him Moshe, Moses, and with her knowledge of Hebrew, she believes it means "I have drawn him out of the water." An uh, interesting story from the rabbis is that God was so pleased by what Pharaoh's daughter had done that on that day, God gives Pharaoh's daughter a name. He gives her a new name, calls her Bithia, which means daughter of God. Well, actually, her Hebrew wasn't a whole lot better than mine. Turns out, according to most scholars, she thought she had named him Moses because she had drawn him out of the water. But she had actually named him Moses, and more technically, it means will draw out of the water. And that name actually becomes his destiny, because Moses will, in years ahead, deliver his people, rescue them, and free them through the water, just as his name implies. So, as he begins to live into his destiny, uh, as as uh, when it says when he grew up, it's interesting, the New Testament, it says at age 40, uh, here in the Hebrew Bible it doesn't say, but when he grew up, he went out. To check in on his brothers, his own people. It may suggest to us that, biblically speaking, we are not grown up until we understand that we're part of a community. So long as we're independent and acting as free agents on our own, cut off from our heritage and cut off from others, we may think we're grown up. But scripturally speaking, we're not mature. So when he grows up, he figures out who he is. And he goes to reconnect with them. And as he does that, he sees two Hebrews, or excuse me, a Hebrew rather, and a slave master. And the slave master is basically beating the Hebrew slave within an inch of his life. And Moses decides to take action. What's interesting uh, is a couple things. One is, according to one commentator, Moses is obviously not that impressed with Pharaoh's house from which he came, that he's willing to take this chance. Nor is he impressed with the pyramids. What he's impressed with is oppression. And where oppression is found, he's going to go into action no matter the cost. Now, we're told that he looked to the right and looked to the left, having looked both ways, seeing no one. Then he struck and killed the Egyptian. So quite likely, he wanted this act not to go out and, and become public. And we're told he buried the Egyptian in the sand. It is However, also important to note that in Isaiah 59, one of the things God says is God is looking for someone who will look right and left to see if anyone is going to end oppression. So some people give Moses the benefit of the doubt, and he's kind of looking around like, is somebody going to stop this? And no one steps forward, so Moses does it himself. But unfortunately, the way Moses decides to stop this oppression is exactly the way the Hebrews would do it. You stop violence by becoming more violent. You stop oppression and restore order by becoming more oppressive. So he does the only thing at this stage he knows to do. He employs violence and aggression and kills the Egyptian. Now, what we note is that after this, he comes back the next day, sees two brothers fighting each other, and he tries to break it up. And one of them says, are you thinking you're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian guy? And then Moses has to run for his life. So Moses' early plan at living out his destiny doesn't go real well. Part of what I learned from this is God does not honor Moses' method. But he will, in fact, honor the intention of Moses' heart. Moses wants to end oppression and free the people. God's going to help him do it, but he's going to have to do it God's way, not the Egyptian way. The Egyptian way is one brick at a time oppressing another person. And that's what Moses tries. And God's not going to do that. What you have in our God is not just a bigger, badder Pharaoh. What you have in our God is a God who operates by compassion, who operates uh, personally, not in ways of technology that uh, renders people impersonal, uh, not through machines and systems, but through individual compassion. That's how our God operates, and that's how God wants Moses to operate. So the first thing I think Moses learns is, He's not going to be able to do this thing his way. It's going to have to be God's way. And I think another thing he learns is that if he's going to deliver the people of God, he's first going to have to be delivered himself. Before he can get the people out of Egypt, he's going to have to get Egypt out of him. Ways of oppression, ways of violence, ways of impersonal, dehumanizing treatment of others. Those things have got to go. They cannot be in the deliverer of God's people. So he'll spend some time, 40 years in fact, uh, getting Egypt out of his system before it's time for him uh, to go back. But he will go back and amazing things will happen and the people of God will be free. Now, I didn't go to the rest of chapter 2, but if we did, what would happen is he's fleeing for his life. He ends up sometime later, we don't know if it's months or years, at a well at, at, at a place called Midian and there are some women trying to get water at the well, and they're being harassed by some men. And Moses again hears these cries of oppression, steps into action, runs off these bad men, and uh, helps the women. They take him back home. He meets his future father-in-law. He meets his bride. And that's chapter 2. And what you see in chapter 2 is this. It's a story of the oppressed crying out, and compassionate people responding babies cry out according to tradition we have no we don't know this for sure 300 babies a day were being tossed into the nile those cries come god answers uh, and so the story starts with crying first there's the baby Moses who cries and pharaoh's daughter will hear Then there is the the Egyptian beating the Hebrew slave who is crying out, and Moses hears. And then Moses comes the next day, and there are two Hebrews beating, oppressing each other. And Moses hears and steps into action. Then there's the cry of the women at the well at Midian. Moses steps into action. Always cries, followed by compassion. So it shouldn't surprise us. At the very end of chapter 2, it said that God hears the cry, And God will go into action. We can be sure that God always does answer the cry of the needy and the oppressed. In an early story in Genesis, there's a guy named Cain and he kills his brother Abel. And we're told that Abel's blood cries out from the ground and God hears and comes to check it out. We're told about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah that they are so oppressive that their cries of the oppressed people reach God's ears. So God comes down to check it out. A little bit later, um, after they escape Egypt, um, the people of the Hebrews have crossed the water. They're making their way uh, toward the promised land. And there's a nasty group of people called the Amalekites. And what they do is they, sweep, they uh, sweep down on the back of the line of you know a million, two million people that are escaping. And they pick off the elderly, the infirmed, the mothers nursing their babies, and the small children who don't walk pretty fast, and they make them all slaves. And the response we're told in the Bible is basically God says, I'll remember that. Whenever there are cries, God will and does swing into action. So God swings into action here. God sends Moses, and there will be ten plagues. And there will be battle. And there will be loss. And God will win. And what becomes of Pharaoh? Pharaoh. He's betrayed by a member of his own house. His own daughter starts the whole thing by rescuing this baby. And then in the end, his successor will lose a chunk of his army to the water. How interesting that Pharaoh thought that the water would solve his problems and eliminate his enemies. It turns out the water will swallow a good part of his own army and lead these enemies to freedom. God will win. But we knew that already. Here's what maybe we need to remember. God's power shows up in Exodus, but it gets triggered, as God's power most always does, by compassionate response to the cries of the needy. The needy cry out, people respond, God goes into action. It's just a biblical thing, and you can find it when the people are oppressed by sin, and they cry out, and God sends the baby Jesus... It's the same deal. But it all starts with compassion. Pharaoh's daughter hears a baby cry, takes him out of the water, and that baby will grow up to liberate the people. One act of compassion leads to a miracle, a very large miracle. But that's how it goes. It's always set in gear and you never really know when you reach out compassionately to someone where it all is going to end. But what you can know is that God will be involved. Not too long ago, well, several months, I got a letter with a picture uh, of a man and a woman and a young child. And I recognized the woman years ago. She was a professional student uh, by that a student in professional school. Um, I was a professional student, but that's another that's another story. A student professional school from the north, she'd come here. She was worshiping with us on Wednesday night, and she was lonely. School wasn't going well. Things were not particularly going well back home uh, with her family. She had few friends here. But Wednesday after Wednesday, she came. And the people on the pews around her began to take notice of her. Took her to dinner after the service, began to talk, began with her, began to listen, began to pray, began to tell her how things might work better back home even though she couldn't be there. One thing led to another. She successfully completed professional school. A couple years more down here, moved back up toward her hometown, met somebody, fell in love, married, sent me a picture of the family. But with it, she thanked me. For she said, the care of those people sitting on the pew made all the difference at a hard point in her life. She cried. They heard. They were compassionate. You never know where it goes. I told you a few years back, I got a letter from um, a guy who had been moved here because of Rita. His home had flooded. He ended up uh, with so many other people staying in our gym. And uh, this was the second time he'd lost his... House to a hurricane. His own church, a small little church, had been flooded and it looked like it wouldn't recover. And he was really beginning to wonder about this God business anyway. What kind of God lets her house be lost twice and then lets God's own house get lost? But some of you began to listen to him in the gym. I don't even know which one's view it was. Began to listen. Some began to pray, talk, support. When he came in here, he was sad and defeated. When he left here, he was hopeful and smiling. And a few months later, he wrote back to tell me about how his church was being rebuilt and how he was playing a major role in it. And he wanted me to thank you for restoring his faith. He cried out. Somebody listened. Somebody responded. Somebody prayed. An act of compassion, and you never know quite where it ends up. I only know that, biblically speaking, when people cry and we hear, God moves. Baby in a basket, and an entire nation is freed years later. All because a woman heard, and she responded. Who knows what might happen? we listen more closely to the cries of people around us. You know, there's a story that illustrates this to me. It it became so overused about 10 years ago that I pledged that I would not use it again for years. And I have kept that pledge. But it is time. You know the story well, but maybe you need to be reminded. It's about an old man who's walking along the beach. This old man sees a young boy on the beach. And what he's doing is... The water has washed ashore hundreds and hundreds of starfish out of their element. So to help them survive one by one, he's taking the starfish and putting them back in the water, flinging them into the water. The old man watches for a while as starfish go in the water, some get washed back, and finally goes up to the young boy and just laughing. He said, you're wasting your time. There are too many starfish for you, and they come back Anyway. What you're doing is not making any difference. And you'll remember the boy takes one starfish in his hand, tosses into the water, looks back at the older man and says, well, it made a difference for that one. What if you were that one? What if the one you helped were that one? What if the one you helped was Moses? When we listen... When we help, we never know where it will go. But God knows. You can be sure that God knows.